All right, good morning. I'm Cameron Ross, and I am not the lead pastor here, but I'm very excited to be here as we wrap up a series we've been tackling for the last several weeks called The Lies We Believe, where we've been looking at the lies, the assumptions, the general ideas that we've just accepted as our culture. But through this pandemic and through all the craziness of the past several months, they've been exposed to be just that, that they are lies. So in week one, Adam looked at the, uh, the lie that I don't need anybody else. I'm good on my own. And in week two, he tackled the lie that I can buy my security. My wealth can bring me security in this world and in this life. And then last week, he teased out some of the nuances of the, the lie that I am what I do, that what my job is and everything tied with that, and especially lately when we've been calling people essential or non-essential, he just did a killer job outlining the lies based in that. But I'm excited because I get to tackle the lie that underlies many of the lies we've talked about so far. And that's simply this, the lie that I am in control. I am in control. And we've seen, while we have some control throughout this time, there has been many examples showing us that we do not have control, right? We found out very quickly that we do not have control of the microbial world. If you were a victim of the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, you found out that you're not in control of the supply of stores, right? If you had to work from home and you had to have your kids at home at the same time, you found out many times that you were not in control of your house. That was a big one for us. And then there's more serious things like we're not in control of our future plans. You know, as many of us had vacations or weddings or graduations, and we had all these ideas of what we were going to do, and it was all taken away very quickly from us. We weren't in control of markets or jobs or even in some cases in control of death. And this is a struggle for our society, right? Our society just, just maxes out on this desire for control. And all of our wealth and all of our prosperity, we brought, bought this illusion that we can control most of our lives. And it's reinforced by a lot of little things every day. I mean, think about it. Every day I have control over darkness with the flip of a switch because of electricity and power. I can turn on a faucet and I get clean running water as much as I want, anytime I want it. And it just keeps coming as evidence every time my kids try to play with the faucet and don't turn it off, right? I don't have to ever forage for food or go hunt for food because I can just get up and walk to the fridge or the pantry. I mean, so much in our wealth and our prosperity just screams to us that we have control, but it's all an illusion. We're past civilizations and just their effort to survive bumped into reality constantly in this reality that they are not in control. We have bought the lie that I am in control. And just with the coronavirus, if we just think about many other things that we think we're in control and we see how bankrupt those are. Right? If we think about our health, we think we're in control of our health. We think if I just eat the right foods and I just do the right things exercise-wise, I not only can have health, I should have health. Like I'm deserved health. If I just eat my vegetables and I, I focus on my free-range, cage-free, organic, non-GMO foods, you know? And if I, if I maybe run a little bit more, or maybe, no, 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 don't run, that's actually bad for you. Or if I could just CrossFit, or whatever you do, don't CrossFit, right? And we've got all these crazy ideas that if, if we just get the right combination of things, I can be healthy, and I can determine my health. But we know that's not true. I mean, just look at, just look at elite athletes, right? These guys that just spend millions of dollars on their bodies only to give them a couple more years before their body fails them and their career ends. LeBron James, a famous basketball player, spends $1.5 million a year on his body in terms of treatment, nutrition, massages, uh, trainers. $1.5 million a year. 
Tom Brady is notorious. I mean, he's notorious for several things, right? Because he's Tom Brady. But notoriously has a crazy regimen where he eats 80% of his diet is vegetables. He does flexibility drills all throughout the day. He goes to bed at 8.30 every night, and the dude drinks 25 glasses of water a day. I mean, can you imagine how much he's going to the bathroom for that? I mean, all of that effort, though, all of that money, all that time spent, and what do they get? Maybe five years added to their career before their body starts breaking down, and that's if they don't get injured in the meantime. I mean, we have control. We can have some control over our health, and we can make healthy choices, but... We can't control our health. We find that it's actually a gift, not a possession, right? But we believe these lies in all sorts of things. Parenting, right? I mean, especially before your parents, you have all sorts of grandiose ideas about how you can control a kid. Like if I just had the right disciplinary tactics and the right behavioral methods, and if I just love them the right way, my kid will never throw a temper tantrum in the cereal aisle, like these jokers over here, right? And then you have kids. And you realize really quickly, like, well, it turns out the kid gets a vote in this. Turns out there's a million things that you can't control that are factors in this kid's life. And even when we get that initial shock that we're out of control, we quickly fall right back into the idea that we can control, right? If I just get the right school or the right facilities or faculty or extracurricular activities, my kid's going to turn out to be a, a great kid in society and a God-fearing person. And then, oh goodness, if you want to talk about control, think about child safety. I mean, if we think if we just get the right products, if I can just get the right products, or if I can have them hanging out with the right people, or maybe avoid the wrong people, or if I can get them to wash their hands enough, or if I can get them vaccinated, or maybe if I can have them avoid vaccines, right? We just have all sorts of theories about if I can just do the right things, I can protect my child. And then reality hits, and we realize we can't even protect them from their own poor choices or accidents, much less things like car accidents, or school shootings, or things like SIDS. And while we can make good choices in parenting and there are healthier options for parenting, we can't control how our kids turn out. I mean, we think in this time right now in the election season, man, another time in all the turmoil we have in our country where we think, you know what, I can control our society, I can fix our society through the government. If I could get the right people in power, if I could get the right combination of policies put together, I can fix the ills or we can fix the ills of society. Right? We think if we can get the right policies and the right politicians, then I can achieve true equality and justice for people. Or maybe we think if I can get the right policies and the right politicians, that I can get limited government and true liberty for our citizens. But come on, come on. You, you know that's not true. Civilization since the beginning of civilization have talked about utopia and how to create utopia through institutions and governments or whatever it is. And we are no closer to utopia today than we ever were. And don't get me wrong, right? Certain government structures are better than other governments. And we absolutely should fight for good policies and seek to, to use our influence where we can. But we're never going to fix society. I mean, we can't even fix ourselves, although that's another area where we think we have control over, right? Have you ever been in a bookstore? The largest section in any bookstore is the self-help section, right? We think if we can just get the right method and maybe the right motivation and the right effort, we can fix all the things that we hate about ourselves. But, I mean, come on, it's, it's what, June? How are your New Year's resolutions working out, right? And yes, we can improve ourselves. We absolutely should strive to make ourselves better, but we can't control everything about ourselves and fix everything we don't like about ourselves. And ultimately, in our arrogance, our culture has come to this idea that we can even control death. 
I love this quote from a physician who teaches at uh, Demo Seminary, uh, he says this about our culture, we've come to believe that death is an accident to be avoided rather than a necessity to be accepted. Death is an accident to be avoided, that if we just avoided all the wrong things in the world and we just do the right things, we can avoid accidentally falling into death. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a shocking statistic. This is going to blow your mind. It turns out the death rate is still 100%. We're pretty close. I mean, we have Jesus as an outlier, right? We can't avoid death, but we think we can. And it's similar to the health. Like, we think if we could just control our health, we can just do this. But all you have to do is look at all the health nuts that had died early. Rob Kowalski was a, a famous writer on nutrition and, and healthy living. He even wrote a book called Younger, Living Strong, Fit, and Sexy Until You're 80 and Beyond. But unfortunately for Mr. Kowalski, he died at 58 from cancer, 22 years before 80, much less beyond. Micah True was an ultra marathoner. This dude ran 100 mile races, like 100 miles at once. He was made famous in this book called Born to be Run, which is a great read if you have a chance to read it. But he died at 58 from, a heart, from heart disease while on a run. Grape nut spokesman and like health guru, you will uh, give it. He died at 64 from an aneurysm. Jim Fix, who was a running guru, and he launched the America Fitness Revolution in the 80s, this focus that we have on being healthy and living healthy. He helped kick that off. He died at 52 of a heart attack while running. And I don't know if you're picking up the trend here. Like, running will kill you. That's why I avoid it. That's why Adam should avoid it, but he never listens to me on that front. But we just bought this lie that if we can just be healthy, we can avoid death. Or even this, this is the one we've more accepted often lately, that science is going to cure everything. I mean, you can find quotes all over the place, dating all the way back to like the 50s and 60s of how we're going to be living into our hundreds and even longer. I mean, for example, in 2015, Bill Maris, the founder of Google Ventures, said this, if you ask me today, is it possible to live to be 500? The answer is yes. Biomedical researcher Aubrey de Grey estimated that people in middle age now have a fair chance of never dying. And you can find quotes all over the place of people projecting that we're going to be living forever. But we just know it's not true. In fact, super fascinating. Two separate studies, one done by some U.S. researchers, one by the U.K. research said, hey, what would happen if we cured all cancer today? All cancer, no demand, gone. You know what they said would happen? It would add two to two and a half years on our life expectancy. That's it. Like all cancer is gone and all it would do is bump us up two to two and a half years life expectancy. And if you think about life expectancy, I don't know if you know this, but did you know it's actually plateaued at 78? We had these massive gains in the 1900s, like 30 years added to life expectancy, but that's been tapering off, tapering off. And the last decade, the last decade where we've had the most understanding of our world and the biggest scientific breakthroughs, we have not budged from 78. No, we can make choices that help us avoid situations that might lead to death, but we have no control over death. And ultimately, we will succumb to it. Now, as we think through these things, all these examples in our culture where we've just grasped for control and think we can control it, but we really don't, we notice a couple things reoccurring out of this, right? A couple ideas that seem to keep surfacing. And the first one is this, there's a tension. There's a tension. I have control, but I'm not in control. I have control, I have the ability to control some things and to make some influence, but I'm not in control, right? This is not fatalism. This is not this idea that like I'm totally at the whims of, of fate or even sometimes you see it in Christian fatalism and the idea like God's going to do what he's going to do, so why even try? No, it's not that. God gives us some control, but 
but it's not absolutism either, where I can, if I just do the right things, I can control it. And I can be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. No, no, no. God says, you're not in control. You're in relationship. I gave you free will so that we can relate because you can't relate to an automaton. But I gave you free will. And in giving you free will, I did not give you omnipotence. I, as a father in the heaven, control that, right? I am the ultimate in control. And I love this verse in Proverbs, one of my favorite verses I try to reflect on often to just live in this tension of I have control, but I'm not in control, is this. Proverbs 21, 31, it says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. Like, you need to prepare, you need to do what you can to get ready. It's not like, oh, God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm just going to show up to battle without prepping at all. No, no, no. You prepare the horse for battle, but just because you prepare, you can't guarantee victory. That is still God. So we have this tension that I've, I have control, but I'm not in control. And the other thing we notice when we think through all those examples is that our desire for control is heavily driven by fear. Heavily driven by our fears. And the fact is that the world is full of stuff that can hurt us or kill us. And the unknown freaks us out primarily because it's full of stuff that can hurt us and kill us, right? And so we seek to, to take control and to, to manage it ourselves to try and ease those fears, whether it's simple fears like, I worry what people think about me. And so I'm going to control my Facebook and Instagram and tailor it and make it just right so that people see the image of me that they want to, I want them to see. Or maybe it's bigger fears like, I need a job or, or, or my kid's safe. And so we try to do things to control that. Or, or maybe it's the ultimate fear, the fear of death. I mean, Hebrews says, the author of Hebrews says that uh, without Jesus' work on the cross, we are destined to a lifelong enslaved fear or enslavement to a fear of death. And that leads us to seek control. And so we have these two things. We have this tension that I have control, but I'm not in control. And that these, these fears tend, us, tend to drive us towards more control. And what I love about the Bible and what I love about scriptures is that they don't shy away from these complexities, right? They don't paint this rosy picture of the world. In fact, they, they wrestle with these nuances. And the passage we're going to look at today does exactly that. And it's actually a passage that's primarily about greed. But as we've seen in our culture, that the greed and wealth are often tied to the hip with issues of control. That wealth tends to give us a desire for more control and the illusion of control. And so if you're following along today, I'd love for you to open in Luke 12, the gospel of Luke chapter 12. And just for context here, Jesus is teaching to this massive audience. Luke says there's thousands, so many that they're stepping over one another. I mean, this is like Disney World in July, right? Or maybe Disney World in last July, uh, with just people everywhere. And, and in the middle of this, there's this awkward situation where this cat just stands up in the middle of Jesus teaching in front of all these thousands of people and just says, hey, Jesus, hey, hey, tell my brother to give me half, my half of his inheritance. And you're like, how awkward is that? Like, what is this dude doing in front of everybody with this petty little thing, the family, to, you know, debate, bringing this to Jesus? And Jesus sort of just says, you know, like, hey, I'm not an arbiter of your family. Like, that's a household issue. You guys figure that out. But as a masterful teacher that he is, Jesus uses that as an opportunity to launch into some teaching about greed and wealth and some of these issues of control that we've been talking about today. So if you want to turn to Luke 12, verse 16, we're going to jump right in. It says this. And he told them a parable. And as Adam talked about in the last couple of weeks, uh, Jesus often taught through the, the parables of these short stories that would illustrate points of his teaching. And he says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
the land of a rich man. So we have this rich farmer and he had a great year of crops. Right? And this is, if you know anything about farmers, you know this is living in that tension of I have control, but I am not in control. Because as a farmer, I can do things to help produce better crops. I can rotate my fields. I can make sure the soil's the right way. I can get the water the best I can. But I'm also dependent on a lot of things that are fully outside of my control, whether it's weather or crop disease or bugs, right? It is like the epitome of I have control, but I am not in control. And this is, this is just amazing for us, right? He finds that his wealth is actually a problem for him, like we actually find oftentimes in verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? So I've had this amazing year. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I mean, if you think of a first world problem, this is a first world problem. Like, oh no, what am I going to do? I have so much wealth. I have nowhere to put it, you know? And this is the problem that a lot of us face in our wealth and prosperity. I mean, I don't know how many of you are like me, where you have a meal, you finish, you get all the leftovers put together, you go to the fridge and you go, "Uh uh-oh, I have no room to put my perfectly good food because my fridge is full of perfectly good food. And I either have to throw away perfectly good food to make room for my new food, or we do what I did and we bought a second fridge and I have two fridges, right? So I I, I have so much food, I have to find another fridge just to store all of my food. Or maybe you're like us when you you have your multi-bedroom modern home. That would be the envy of like 99% of humanity that's ever lived would just look at you like that is a mansion, right? And we go, oh my gosh, I don't have enough room for my stuff. I've got to find a new house that's bigger to fit all of my stuff. And this is what our rich friend is wrestling with. And, And he actually tries to solve his problems the same way. He says in verse 18, and he said this, I know what I'll do. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I got it. A problem solved. I'll just tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll be able to fit all of my wealth. And it's here. It's here where we get a glimpse into his heart and where we see these issues of control start to pop up. And in verse 19, and he says, I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Relax. He goes, I've made it. I've arrived. I've arrived at the point of security, to the point where I'm in control because I have so much wealth that I don't even have to do anything anymore. My worries can go away. All my fears can go away. I can relax and just enjoy life. Kind of similar to our modern day equivalent of retirement, right? I have so much that I literally don't have to work another day of my life. That I'm good. I've arrived. And then he bumps into reality. The reality that he should have known as a farmer, that he has control, but he is not in control. In verse 20 it says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus wraps up this parable and he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Death shatters this man's illusions of wealth and of control and of security. Reality comes in and and totally wrecks what he thought he was in control of. And he found out very quickly that he wasn't in control, that God was in control. And then I love this. Jesus uses uses this this parable to then springboard into a corollary idea that we've already noticed and talked about that ties to these issues of, of wealth and control. And he jumps into verse 22 and he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat, nor about your body and what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. He says, don't worry about those things. I know you. I know your fear often leads you to try and control things, to try and provide for yourself, to try and take it into your own hands. I know that 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 desire for those things or that fear of those things often drives your control, but don't do that. Some of you who just heard this parable and heard that you're not in control and that death could come at any moment freaks you out and it just leads you to more control. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't worry about your food or your clothes. And in our wealth, we have different worries about these, right? We're often not worried about having food. We're worried about eating too much food. We're not worried about having clothing. We're worried about having the right clothing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've taken perfectly good clothes and donated them because I had to bring in new fashions and new brands, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about those things. You're not in control. You're in relationship. And he keeps going. He says in verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then Jesus steps it up a level in terms of fears. And he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, if you can't even add an hour to your life, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. He says, do not worry. Do not fear. I know these drive you to anxiety and they drive you to seek control, but do not fear. You're not in control, but I am. As your heavenly father, I am in control. And then he launches into the remedy. He launches into the solution for all of our tension, for all of our fears that we wrestle with. He says in verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom kingdom. Seek him, seek God, seek all of the things, his rule and reign in your life. And these things will be added to you. And I love this. He sort of prods at us, right? Fear not, little flock. Like, like how little control does a, a flock of sheep have over their lives? And how scared are, is a flock of sheep, right? And he calls us, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He gives us the answer to our tension that I have control, but I'm not in control. And our fears that drive us to control. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to use your control to seek the one that is in control. I want you to use your control. Use what little control you have to influence events and to, and to pour into your life. And I want you to use all of that control to focus on seeking the one who is in control. And the one who is in control is your perfect heavenly Father, who loves you more than you could ever imagine and is infinitely more able to provide for you than you are. And I want you to notice, if, if you're seeking someone else's kingdom, that means you can't be king. An element of, of seeking the kingdom of God is laying down our desire for kingship and coming to him as the true king and the true one who can provide for us. And in this, Jesus says, hey, your best play your best play on the table right now is not to try and hoard control and to seek his control as much as you can and trying to manage all of these things that you were never built to manage. Your best play is to use your control 
to seek the one who is in control because he is infinitely better prepared to handle those things. Now, as we wrestle with this idea of control and these issues of fear and all of these things, I realize that that it's universal for us, like that humanity as a whole struggles with these issues, but I also get that it manifests differently for each of us, right? How the areas of your life that you struggle with these and how they manifest for you are going to be different for me. And so help tease out some of the application for us. I came up with a, a couple questions just to try and prod us and, and to get us thinking, and they're not perfect questions, but, but hopefully they'll, they'll stir some of these things inside of you. And the first one's pretty straightforward. What am I trying to control? that is dependent on things outside of my control. What am I trying to control that is dependent on things outside of my control? Where in my life am I thinking along the lines, if I could just get the right combination, I can ensure a specific outcome. Like if I just do the right things, I can guarantee a certain outcome. What, maybe you ask it like this, where is a place in your life where you're trying to manufacture perfection? Whether it's a perfection of you or perfection of society or your kids or your health or, or where in your life are you trying to build perfection? If we wanted to go a little deeper, what causes you more fear? Which statement causes you more fear? I lost my job. God does not exist. Which causes you more fear? I lost my job. Really, you could put anything in this blank, right? Fill in the blank. Or God does not exist. How about this? Which, which causes you more anxiety? I have not done enough to protect my kids. I have not done enough to pray for my kids. Which one keeps you up at night? Which bothers you more? I have not done enough to protect my kids. Or I have not done enough to pray for my kids. We could even get really practical. Let's just think about the last two weeks of our lives. Like, just think back of what you've done the last two weeks. How much time have you spent doing the things you wanted to do versus the things that God wanted you to do? How much time have we spent building into our own kingdoms rather than building in and seeking his kingdom? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, right? Well, these questions aren't perfect, man. I, I had the sermon prepped a week ago, and as I was reviewing it last night just to get settled into it again, it was incredibly convicting because in my preparation for a sermon on control, I found I fell into all of these, right? I spent more time thinking about how I can just get it just right so that it would land right with you guys and that it would, it would have an impact on your lives, forgetting that while I have some control and I should be preparing, I should also be spending a lot of time preparing that God would use whatever I brought to the table. To, get, to bring to his ends, right? My, my tendency was to think more about, hey, how do I look and how will people perceive me after this sermon? Will they think I'm a good preacher? And all of these things, rather than thinking of how do people perceive God at the end of this, right? In a sermon about control, I spent all this time trying to control it, right? And that's the other type A people out there. I know you're the same way, right? We just struggle with these issues of control. So where in your life are you seeking to control things you were never meant to control? Where in your life are you choosing not to seek the things of God, the things of his kingdom, and the things that, that bring him pleasure and that he cares about? Things like, you know, what is true, what is good, what is just, what is beautiful, like bringing truth to other people. Where are you more focused on your own control? And I realize for others, some of us, some of us is less of an issue of trying to control things, and some of us is an issue of, of forfeiting our control. 
Right? Some of us have bought this idea of Christian fatalism or just fatalism in general, that God's in control, why even try, right? He'll do what he's going to do. And we have forfeited our responsibility. And God says, no, 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 no. Like, I have put you on this planet in this specific role, in this specific area of the world, with your relationships, your gifts, your skills, to play a role. I have given you free will and the ability to actually have some control. Not so that you can seek to hoard that and try to control it yourselves, but so that you can be my hands and my feet. And you can bring the things of my kingdom to this world, the things that are goodness, and you can seek the love, uh, you know, bringing the love of Christ to others, and you can seek to bring truth and to care for those who can't care for themselves, and, and just one another, one another. You have a role to play. While you can't control victory, you still have to prepare the horse for battle. And so for some of us, we've got to reconcile the fact that we've settled into this, this fatalism. And we got to remember that, hey, while we are not in control, we do have some control. And that God has called us to use what control we have to seek the one who is in control. Because he is a perfect heavenly father, willing, and just I love the end of the verse that we looked at, where he just, it's his good pleasure to provide for his children. Now, as we wrap up this sermon and we wrap up this series, looking at the lies we believe, I just want to rejoice a little bit. And I know that sounds weird in this era of just craziness and confusion and stress and anxiety and all sorts of problems, but man, how grateful should we be that we are no longer the living under the lies, that we are forced to face reality. One of my favorite writers and thinkers is C.S. Lewis, and he wrote predominantly in the 40s and 60s, and, and he has an essay called uh, Living in the Atomic Age, where he writes to these people at the time were just so fearful of, of this massive atomic war that was going to wipe humanity off the planet and just were suffocated by these fears of how do we live in this environment. And he writes this essay, and I want to read it because it's just so poignant for so many things we face today. But every time you hear Atomic Age, I just want you to think COVID or pandemic. He says this, how are we to live <clears throat> in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, of railway accidents and motor car accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir and madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances, and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. What the atomic bomb or what the pandemic has really done is to remind us forcibly of the sort of world we are living in and in which during the prosperous period before, during all of our wealth, we were beginning to forget. And this reminder is, so far as it goes, a good thing. We have been waked from a pretty dream. And now we can begin to talk about realities. So in all of this craziness, and all the stress that's still going to keep coming, right? This is not going away anytime soon. Let us be grateful that we have woke from our pre-dream. And now we can see the world as it is. And we no longer have to be deluded or enslaved to these lies. Do so you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful 
uh, even in all this craziness. I know sometimes it's hard to have a heart in that position, but we just are grateful that you will not allow us to live in our delusions, that you uh, love us so much that you will shake us awake so we can see ourselves, we can see the world, we can see you uh, as it really is. God, I pray that you would help us to live in this tension, this tension that we have control, but we are not in control. And that that wouldn't drive us towards fear, that wouldn't drive us towards worry and anxiety, but instead that we would use that control to seek the one that is in control, the one that we can trust, the one who, who, who knows all of this long before, that wasn't surprised by any of this, and that has never left the throne. And in this moment, I just want you to keep your eyes closed if you're in house church, and I just want you to, just to reflect. I think this is a good time to think about it. Some of us, you know, have these issues of control that we need to kick around. Some of us have forfeited that control, but I also recognize that some of us have never turned our control over to God. Some of us have never surrendered our kingdom to the true king. And so if that's you today, I just want to offer this time. Don't wait another moment. Don't let your, your fear of control drive you anymore. Don't let your fear of death enslave you any longer. Turn your heart and your life to the one who is in control. And if that's you, someone in your house church, or even if you're online, hit us up. We would love to walk with you through that and help you through those next steps and just pour into you. But I would encourage you to not wait another day, but that you would surrender your kingdom to the true king. And pursue your heavenly father who loves you more than you can imagine. And so heavenly father, we are just grateful again for your love and your mercy and the fact that you can provide. And we pray that we would rest in your provision and in your control. We love you so much. Amen.